0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Work Alchemy podcast, conversations about impact, where entrepreneurs and leaders share how they have impact, the sweet moments and the challenges. I'm your host, Ursula York. I help entrepreneurs grow successful businesses that make a difference in the world. Impact is more than mission, more than purpose, even more than your why. Impact is where your unique self and business meet the world and contribute to making it better for all of us. These stories are here to inspire and energize you so you can have your own unique impact. Today's guest on the podcast is Ellen Duffield. Ellen is the director of the Leadership Studio at Muskoka Woods and the author of Brave Women Building Bridges to Transformation and the recently released The Brave Way. For over 30 years, Ellen has held a special interest in how to create environments in which both men and women can thrive. And much of her work and research has focused on this area. Welcome to the podcast, Ellen. I'm delighted to have you here. Well, thank you so much. It's great to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, it's my pleasure. I, I know you've done a lot of work and research around leadership, and I would really like to know how you see impactful leadership. How do you? What do you think makes for a really impactful leader? Mm, such a great
1: question. Well, of course, many things. But the thing that jumps to mind, I think, first of all, is uh, in Canada, there was a study that was done a number of years ago. And as you know, Ursula, I live and work in Canada. And uh, one of the things that came out was about the importance that Canadian leaders gave to this whole idea of bridge building. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so for me, that has become a really important way in that I think about leadership and and how we can be most impactful with our leadership. And that can be everything from learning how to build a bridge from where we are to where we need to get to, or build a bridge from who we are to who we need to be in in a particular situation or build a bridge between different perspectives, different types of people. Uh, So to me, it's when we begin to think beyond ourselves and how we can collaborate and include others and build bridges that are going to be, truly transformational. I think that's where you begin to see the level of impact that I think you're referring to.
0: Mm, I really love that. I often, when I work with my own clients and coaching them, they're mostly entrepreneurs and they're all leaders. We talk about how do you move into a way of being that is really consistent with the kind of leader that you want to be and that what you just mentioned about building bridges is really important to that. How do you build a bridge from who you are now to who you want to be as a leader? Can you talk a little bit about how you can build those bridges in your own development as a leader? Yeah. Well, And first of all, I just totally agree with you on that. And I think that a lot of
1: leadership development focuses on skills and those skills are very important, of course, but To a certain extent, what will cap our ability to be the kind of people and see the kind of change that we're longing for is is really about self-awareness, self-regulation, growth, you know, some of those kind of catchword phrases that do get overused, but really are quite true. And so for me, it's always been about assessing the kind, how I want to show up in a situation, how I want to create the kind of environment in which other people can show up as their best selves so that we can get the best outcomes. And I find that when you put on that lens and are looking through that lens, it really does shape everything from the settings that you meet in to the kind of meetings that you have to the kind of outcomes that you're hoping for. And it's very much of a kind of holistic, synergistic way of thinking about the fact that leadership is ultimately about people. And it's about you yourself as a human being, the good, the bad and the ugly and, <laughs> and about engaging with other people. And, uh, and together carving ways to move forward that are
0: going to be sustainable and, and genuinely helpful. Hmm. Well, and you're talking about change, uh, something you said very early in that Just now, as you were talking about change, you really see leaders as being a valuable force in changing the world. Could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think at its
1: most basic level, you could argue that that's what leadership is really about. And there have been so many powerful models of leadership, but I love to look back to the work that. Bass and Burns and others have done around transformational leadership. And, and really, at its most simple core, that's about raising the level of ethics in a group of people and raising the level of motivation to do something about what they now believe is fundamentally important. And, and so those are uh, world-shaping ways of thinking about, about leadership. And regardless of what sector we're in or the type of work we're doing, we're always creating cultures. And we're always creating opportunities for growth and for change. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and certainly that's true at a financial level for most organizations. But we know that there's a strong link between the multiple bottom lines that we have as organizations. And the more that we can develop and help people grow and change, and the more we can change the broader culture, the more fulfilled people are going to be and the more impactful our leadership is going to be.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I completely agree. And I t- just to come at that a slightly different way, uh, is there a level of intentionality that you think leaders have a responsibility towards in terms of both organizational culture and the broader culture? And I, I hope that's clear as a question. But I, I just wonder if uh, rather than in the course of being a leader, you affect culture versus i'm intentionally building and contributing to this kind of culture where what side do you sit on yeah. Respect to that. <laughs> yeah. Great question. Well, so I, I, I mean, you could even again, at the risk of over,
1: massively oversimplifying, say that there's, there's two kinds of leaders, and and one of them sits on either side of that dichotomy that you just, raised right. Couldn't we? Yeah. Answer. Which
0: is an artificial one, I admit. <laughs>
1: yeah. um, and, and most of us float back and forth, of course, in between, and have different levels of intentionality. But I can just say that. I have the privilege of working at the leadership studio and we see a variety of different types of leaders and the ones that come through that are most respected and admired and are seeing the greatest outcomes are the ones who are very intentional about understanding that they are crafting culture and that uh, how they show up in a room and the decisions that they make and the way they collaborate and the things that they're ultimately caring about and talking about are having a profound ripple effect through families and communities, and and I would even go so far to say globally because we have such a a global impact now in the way that we can communicate so quickly uh, across so many different forums.
0: Mm -hmm. I'm really glad to hear you say that because I'm a big believer in consciously making a choice to show up in a certain way, to treat people in a certain way, to have impact very intentionally and consciously. So um, h- how have you seen things shift in, um, let's talk about large organizations because that's uh, certainly a big part of your work. How have you seen things shift within large, large organizations in in terms of leadership and, and how leadership is developed?
1: Mm. Yeah, great question. So uh, again, we've gone through various stages over the last number of decades in the ways we think about leadership and leadership development And I think we have an increased level of complexity today and an increased level of awareness. And the two of those things uh, could could and should balance each other in some ways, but often become competing. And by that, I mean, you know, we've never had organizations with the level of uh, anxiety uh, that we have today. Uh, we've never had organizations with the level of potential impact that we have today. And so you see these two very diverse uh, challenges and opportunities that are before us. And so it makes it increasingly difficult for leaders to navigate that. And so, you know, I have a great deal of empathy for the challenges that leaders are facing because they're unlike anything that we've seen before. And I think increasingly as we think of organizations as using Peter Sanjay's language of learning communities and Mm -hmm. as we think about uh, communities of people and how we can craft environments in which those people can genuinely thrive. And then as a result of that, we'll do more creative work, more innovative work, more productive work and we can see that we have an amazing opportunity here but but as i said there's also increased fear and uncertainty there's increased anxiety and all of those things become a piece of leadership that previous leadership generations didn't even have to worry about
0: yeah do you think that that increasing anxiety is is a cultural thing because of some of the shifts we've seen Maybe politically in the world, um, or is it something that's innate due to the complexity of organizations or, or both or other things? Yeah, I think probably both of those things
1: for sure. And then also just do you know that I'm sure you're familiar with the old canary in the coal mine analogy. Right. I think people are demonstrating that we are living in a world which doesn't have the social connections that we used to have. Grandma and grandpa don't live next door anymore. Mm -hmm. uh, And where expectations are high, and people are changing careers frequently and changing organizations frequently, and there's increasing uh, expectations and decreasing resources, or at least that's the perception. And so all of these things add to a real sense of. Uh, inability to navigate in a way that's sustainable for many people.
0: Mm-hmm. Do you think that being an entrepreneurial leader is different from being a leader in a large organization? For example, are there specific things about it? Yeah, about for sure. being, yeah, yeah. So
1: you know, the, there's the the fun factor. I think you know, there's something about being an entrepreneur and getting something off the ground that is exciting and. Is innovative and, you know, has that kind of using Cameron's language, ad hocracy the opposite of bureaucracy. So things can be very <laughs> nimble, and uh, and very quickly you can change direction and you can have a brilliant idea at midnight, and by six a.m. you've already got a prototype built, kind of thing. Uh, so there, there's definitely that piece to it. Uh, it comes with its own challenges as well, but of course, we, increasingly we see so many people. Uh, Viewing themselves as entrepreneurial and moving away from kind of institutionalized organizations. And I think that that's telling us something about the desire people have to have that creativity and that freedom. But then, of course, there's the additional challenges that come with it. You don't have a team, you know, so when you're on a bad day, uh, you don't have, you can't call in sick sometimes, and you don't have the uh, resources and so a lot of entrepreneurs for sure are feeling this stress and the strain of being pulled in multiple directions often being asked to do things beyond their skill set or beyond what they've experienced in the past
0: mm-hmm. one thing i really wanted to explore with you is talking about how how can we become better leaders with that intentionality how can we move through this kind of anxiety that's floating around and really make sure we're having an impact to really be conscious about that? What are, what are some ways that people can intentionally improve their leadership beyond the usual skills development aspect?
1: Mm, yeah.
0: So when we think about
1: what it means to be human uh, because we are working with human beings we see a number of different things that become really important and I'm just going to pull out three that I think are especially important and one is that people crave belonging and Mm -hmm. so leaders are ultimately creating belonging and whether that's for their staff or for their clientele and, and guests and customers ultimately that's what a lot of people are looking for. And increasingly, as I already mentioned, as social structures break down, we are looking for that uh, within our everyday interactions. So going to the bank, you know, going to the, uh, whether you're doing that online or or face-to-face, going out to pick up a coffee on the way to work, these all increasingly have to balance the polarities of expediency, but also personal interaction. And then I think the other piece is that people are really seeking to know who they are. And perhaps, unlike any other generation, we see people now on this real kind of self discovery quest. And there's a healthy side to that. And of course, there's an unhealthy side to that. But ultimately, leaders are creating environments in which men and women can thrive. And how do they do that? They create places of belonging. They create places where people can discover who they are and lean into that and lean into their strengths and lean into their, what they're kind of ultimately on this earth to do. And so there's a real passion piece there, I think. And then thirdly, and related, of course, and all three of them are related, is that people want to do meaningful work. So all the research suggests that there's a strong correlation between what we would call rich relationships, um, relationship-rich kind of cultures and productive cultures. But there's also a strong correlation between people finding a place where they can do meaningful work, contribute in meaningful ways and their sense of well-being and their engagement and their commitment to the organization and any number of other factors so when we think about those three interacting pieces creating places of belonging creating places where people can discover who they are and become more fully themselves and creating places where people can fully contribute it sounds more like a philosophy class or a you know sociology <laughs> project but but ultimately i think that's what leadership at a certain level at least is really about
0: mm-hmm. I love how you put those ideas together I was just uh, working on a, a talk I'm going to be giving last night and I mentioned each of those but I, I love how you've integrated them and put it under the umbrella of this is the environment that leadership that leaders are really facilitating that are are that you're creating as a leader so yeah what uh, how do you think that, um, I mean, I'm curious about who's influenced you as a leader? I mean, you obviously have a lot of uh, perspectives on leadership, having seen uh, other people doing it. But in terms of your own leadership, how who in, who's influenced you the most? Yeah, so many people. I happen to be a reader, and so a lot of uh,
1: my heroes come from books or biographies that I've read about other leaders, but certainly, you know, people like uh, Mother Teresa and uh, uh, Martin Luther King and uh, people like that who have had a real uh, desire to use their lives in ways that have profound implications that, you know, bec- so that they be- what they stand for becomes bigger than who they are. Mm-hmm. So certainly people like that. Uh, but then I think also of people like Janet Hagberg, whose book, Real power stages of power in organizations profoundly shaped the way that I think about power and influence and impact from early on in my own journey and continues to do so to this day. Uh, I've already mentioned Peter Sanjay. Uh, certainly I love the way that he brings together Eastern and Western thinking and begins to mm-hmm. think a little bit more about human communities. Uh, so there's been a, a wide variety of different authors. That have shaped me. But I would say, lastly, uh, I'm perhaps most shaped by the young men and women that I have the privilege of working with. So, as well as the corporate and nonprofit work that we do, we work with a lot of students, and that would be high school and university students. And within that group, there would be Let's call it a niche group of students that have had a profound impact on my life and leadership in the way that I think. And we would call them uh, students who participate in a resiliency program. So these would be kids who would never be identified as leaders at their school, have never led a team, probably don't even participate on most extracurricular things, kind of falling through the cracks at school a little bit. And the research shows that when you teach leadership development to these types of students, there's a huge uh, growth in their self-efficacy, their self-agency, their civic engagement, a number of different factors.
0: Mm.
1: So we thought, you know, we would be doing some important work, working with these young students. And, and I, I like to think that hopefully it's helped a few of them. But honestly, the biggest piece has been how it has shaped us and our thinking and shape the way that we think about the world and the challenges of the world and the inequities of the world and shape the way that we think about what really matters.
0: And how has it done that? In what ways have you been influenced? Hmm.
1: So whenever you see students like that, you realize that there have been countless interactions that they've had with the world that have beaten them down. And many of those interactions were perhaps not intentional, and were perhaps not even noticed by the adults and by the other students that that may have uh, said those things or done those things. Mm-hmm. And so, it really, I think, speaks to that intentionality piece that we were talking about before. That the smallest of actions can have the biggest of consequences, mm-hmm. and certainly that that is true when we think about how we interact with with people. Uh, so that really shapes the way that I think about working with people. But then I think the other piece is that many of these students are incredibly creative and artistic, and that's part of the reason why they haven't fit in in maybe a more sports-oriented or academic-oriented or humor-oriented world. And many of them would be a little bit more introverted and self-reflective. And they're kind of the poets and the sages you know of their generation, but their their generation maybe doesn't see that yet and so that has really caused me to listen differently to the dissenter, to listen differently to the people on the fringes, to listen differently mm-hmm. to people who you wouldn't hand a microphone to now
0: normally. Hmm. I love that thats a, it speaks to an openness to these folks have From their perspective something very unique to say and how can that inform how we're doing things how we're thinking about things absolutely yeah well you've written a couple of books and um, they've been more focused on women's leadership so one is brave women building bridges to transformation and the other is more recently uh, came out this uh, late this year the brave way do you feel that I'm going to ask you this sort of a uh, very old question about Do you feel that men and women differ in leadership quality, or is that whole thing a, a big myth?
1: <laughs> you know, that's a sixty-four thousand dollars question, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and I, if if you're okay with that, I'm going to reframe that question a little bit, and I, I would say that sure. we know that the most di- the most healthy teams are the teams that are the most diverse. And so it would seem that having different um, genders, different generations, different ethnicities, different experiences gathered around a table leads to a more robust conversation and better decision-making, higher productivity, uh, more money at the end of the day, and a better work culture. So my question is, why then wouldn't we work towards that? Mm -hmm. And so although you're absolutely right, I have a very strong interest in uh, women's leadership development. It's it's really for that purpose that we know that both at an organizational level and at a social justice level, when we have a minimum of 30% women sitting at decision-making tables and genuinely empowered to use their voice, and, and there's a lot involved in that, that we see healthier organizations and we see healthier communities. Mm-hmm. In the many parts of the world, levels of literacy and well-being and clean water and uh, better political structures increase significantly with this one small change. Mm -hmm. So this is data that the UN and others have known for decades, and uh, it's well-validated. It's one of the most well-validated pieces of research that we have. And so for me, it's how do we then begin to think about what I mentioned earlier, creating environments in which both men and women can thrive so that we can have healthy organizations, healthy communities. And we can see a decrease in some of the, you know, escalating social justice issues that we have around the world.
0: Well, I love that an environment where both men and women can thrive, because that's ultimately, I think, for most women anyway, um, a goal of leadership that everyone thrives, not just women. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. Yeah. What do you think has been, um, well, let me ask this in another way. I think that there's been a lot of emphasis on women in leadership lately. There's been the the Me Too and Time's Up movements that have certainly increased the visibility of women in leadership. But what do you think is the responsibility that women have in terms of leadership? Because I wonder sometimes if we're, um, is there an Uh, In in an attempt to address the imbalance, is there a way in which we're pushing ourselves and others to lead more when that maybe isn't a direction we would have gone, uh, left to our own devices? And in the context of culturally, that's not typically where women have ended up. So it's it's a bit of a, a mishmash of factors in that. But what do you think is the responsibility that women have in terms of taking on leadership? Yeah, I think that's a great
1: question, and again, I'm going to reframe it just so uh, slightly. Uh, I think in a world where we know that, as I mentioned, balanced teams lead to healthier organization, there is a shared responsibility to think about how do we create that. And so I think there is uh, a responsibility for sure on women and girls to think about who am I and who do I want to be and how can I best contribute and to, to enter fully into that. But it's kind of like any other situation where you wouldn't, you know, take the people who are, uh, you would give the responsibility to the people who are the decision makers in order to, to make things right. And, mm-hmm. and I find that oftentimes the emphasis on assertiveness training or, stepping up or speaking up or whatever adds almost an additional layer of guilt and responsibility yeah. for people who are already feeling overwhelmed. Right. And, uh, and that's the piece to me that I think makes this very unhealthy. And when we can have a more balanced conversation about what would need to happen in order for us to create healthy, balanced teams. That levels the playing field, doesn't it? And it kind of shares the responsibility amongst all members, and it creates the opportunity for a more genuine dialogue. I think.
0: Mm, yeah, I like that. Well, you and I have talked about women and confidence in as playing a role in leadership, and I know there's been a lot. I mean, your your first book, you really talk about these six ways that you can address low confidence among women. But there's something published recently, an article that women aren't actually less confident than men, but rather aren't confident in others' perceptions of them. Mm-hmm. What has your own work and research shown?
1: Yeah, well, I think there's a few things. One is if we look at this on a global level, and if we were to chart literally from birth to death kind of thing, uh, when you look at the situation, which I sometimes call the nonlinear path of women's lives, you begin to see that there have been mixed messages received by most women from very, very early in their life. And the more educated and, and quite candidly bright a woman is and more uh, aware of what's going on in the world, more, the more likely she is to be aware of some of the discrepancies and the mixed messages. And, And all of that creates kind of an environment in which women are really seeking to assess what's real here, what's true here, what's me and what's messages that I'm receiving from outside, what do I actually think about myself, you know, all of those kinds of things. So that's a level of complexity that's going on at a conscious and subconscious level that I think does impact uh, women's sense of themselves but then if you look at the work that Albert Bandura has done which is around uh, some of the factors that increase people's sense of self-efficacy one the second most powerful one after our own personal mastery the, the next one is uh, vicarious experiences which is seeing people who look very much like us doing something and so if women are entering into a world where they haven't seen a lot of people who look very much like them, that will contribute to their sense of low confidence. And then the the next factor that Pandora talks about is uh, people seeing something in us and calling it out. And there does seem to be some research that suggests that women are more likely for a variety of different reasons, and some of these are socialized, of course. Uh, more likely to kind of hold back and wait for someone to invite them to a table or invite them into a conversation. Mm-hmm. And uh, when that doesn't happen, they are less likely to speak up, less likely to put their hand up. And we know even studies, for example, that show that it in certain um, university programs that a high percentage of the girls that are there think that they got in by some kind of a fluke whereas, you know, much lower percentage of, of the guys feel that and I don't think that's because men are cocky or because women are, are lacking in anything uh, important. It's, it's just that we've been socialized in different ways from the time we're very young, so that six-year-old girls are already believing that it's possible for boys to be really really smart but girls, just to be smart. So, you know, what's going hmm. on in our world that by age six, we're already internalizing these messages. And then by age seven, we think that it's more important for us to be attractive than for us to have good character. Wow. Age seven. Ouch. hmm So you can begin to see how all of this is like a train. I sometimes describe it that, you know, we bring behind us that goes into any opportunity that we have. So there's it's a complex situation. It's not as simple as you know a couple of workshops or a some kind of a, a token representation or quotas. As important as those things might be, those are just part of a much broader conversation, I think.
0: Hmm. Well, one of the things you talk about in your first book is um, addressing confidence through influence, and I wonder if that intrigued me to see that. Um, in your book, could you speak more to that and and uh, talk about what that means, both for men and women leaders? Yeah, well, I mentioned how
1: important um, purposeful work is for men and women. Mm. and uh, and certainly, you know if you look at the two well-validated things that are important for women to feel like they're engaged and able to contribute, it's uh, relationship rich environments that are collegial and where there's a minimum of 30% women and then secondly uh, purposeful work where people feel like that they're contributing is something that's larger than themselves and of course that's true for men and women that we're talking here about women and so I think this whole idea of influence and being able to influence is really important because traditionally women have been less comfortable talking of using the language of power and position and there's a variety of reasons for that as well but when we begin to think about influence and the influence that we can have through the work that we're doing that becomes a very important motivator for women and it does build their confidence however ironically uh, Himes and Murphy have discovered that if you uh, for many men in many cultures not all cultures not all men of course but When they receive promotions, they are able to see that as a validation of their ability and that increases their confidence. But unfortunately, for many women in many cultures, that is not the case. In fact, there's a reverse, almost a reverse correlation where uh, women are more likely to think that they're unable because they're stepping into a place that's less known And because of this whole imposter syndrome and because they have been socialized from a very young age not to stand out above the crowd. And so Mm -hmm. there's this weird dynamic that happens where many women in North America, at least and in some parts of Europe, feel that they have to kind of almost dumb themselves down or make fun of themselves in um, deprecating ways in order to feel that they're not trying to be, you know, I'm better than you or bigger than you or more powerful than you. Now, of course, that's not true for all women, but there does seem to be a little bit of a push in that direction for many women that becomes quite negative.
0: Hmm. Well, something that I'm finding really interesting is seeing the rise in uh, very young leaders moving forward and sticking, stepping up, especially among women. For example, Greta Thunberg, she was just named Time Magazine's 2019 Person of the Year. Yeah. She's on the oh. forefront climate change movement. Yeah, it's fantastic to see. And Finland just elected a female prime minister, mm-hmm. and there's an all-female coalition government with women yeah. in the top spots. So all, all previous research aside about where where uh, what the influences are uh, of, of women in leadership, what do you think is going to be the future impact of seeing more and more women in those roles?
1: Yeah, well, I think we're going to see healthier uh, organizations and countries when we have more balanced teams. So again, it's not about, you know, are those women going to lead better than men would in those positions? It's, it's about balance. And when we have a variety of different voices at the table and collaborative types of processes that enable those voices to speak into some of the very significant challenges that our world faces, then I believe we're going to see greater breakthrough. Mm,
0: That's great. Well, I mean, to bring this back to the organizational level, what do you think organizations can do to support their developing leaders? What can, what can companies do to really make sure that leaders develop to their full potential and uh, as much as, as there's a organizational control over that. It's, of course, partly individual. But what things do you think can be in place to support leaders? Yeah, great question.
1: So that brings us full circle back to the conversation about culture that we started with. And, and really, I think as we create cultures where leaders and leadership development is normative, then we're more likely to have the kind of dialogue and storytelling, dialogue and storytelling being two of the key things, of course, that craft culture. Uh, happening, And really, it's as we celebrate the kinds of people that we want to see within our organization and then create pathways, personalized pathways for those people to be able to move in that direction. And once again, as we raise the level of ethics, what are we really here for? What are we on this earth to do? And as we raise the level of engagement through creating the kinds of places where people want to show up and, and feel like they can bring their best then I think we're going to see some pretty profound and creative stuff happening um, in this generation and in the generations to come, because between uh, the so-called you know flattening of the world and all that's available through social media, and then just the way that this generation is thinking about their lives and their work, I think there's going to be some very creative and very impactful
0: uh, outcomes. Hmm. That's great it's a very hopeful, hopeful outlook
1: mm-hmm.
0: yeah well, I always wrap up these interviews with three questions uh, and a rapid round. Are you ready for ready for those? Ellen I'm ready I'm ready <laughs> <laughs> okay. the first one is what's the biggest thing you've learned about having impact?
1: Hmm. I would say that although I, like perhaps many leaders, am wired for the next big thing that I've discovered that it's often the smallest things that have the biggest impact.
0: Mm. The second question is, what's the one thing you've consistently done that's contributed to your success and impact the most? Mm. Uh,
1: I think probably I've had the privilege of being surrounded by an amazing Uh, team of people, many of whom have been young and emerging leaders. And it's how they've crafted my life, but also how hopefully I've had the opportunity of pouring into them and seeing the ripple effect as they move on to a variety of other spheres that has been really uh, significant.
0: Mm, That's great. Well, last question is, what's one insider piece of advice you'd share with a leader who's asking themselves, how can I have more impact? How can I contribute more to my own immediate environment and the larger world?
1: Mm. Yeah, I would say uh, dialogue. So focus on dialogue within your organization or within your team. But more importantly, almost uh, without as well and and go to the margins, go and seek out some different voices, some different perspectives, because it's so easy for us to get locked in. And the higher people move up in organizations, um, thinking of leadership that way, the more likely we are, unfortunately, to lose touch with what's uh, progressive and what's possible and what the real problems are.
0: Hmm. That's great. Well, Ellen, thank you so much for sharing your perspectives today about leadership and your own really wide-ranging and, and uh, interesting perspectives, as well as bringing in some research about what's been done by other folks. I've, I really appreciated your, your viewpoint and our conversation today. So thank you for being here. Thank you. It's been an honor to chat. If people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to reach you?
1: Thank you. So uh, you can reach out through my website, bravewomen.ca, or contact me through the Leadership Studio at Muskoka Woods, uh,
0: and I'd be delighted to chat. Great. Well, thank you again, Ellen, for the work you're doing in the world. And, And you as well, Ursula. Join us for more episodes. Subscribe to the Work Alchemy podcast on iTunes or Stitcher Radio so you'll know as soon as new episodes are available. You can even help spread the word. Leave a review if you like what you've heard. Thanks for listening. Until next time, for ongoing support so you can have your own impact, join our community of entrepreneurs like you by liking the Work Alchemy Facebook page.